verse 24, Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at verse 24 this evening, Hebrews 7, verse 24. We'll all stand at this time, those who are able, and you can follow along in your Bible. The verses will also be listed on the screen. You can follow along there as well. Hebrews chapter 7, and just the one verse, verse number 24. The Bible says, but this man because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for the great day you've given to us here in your house, and I thank you for the time of fellowship and the time of hearing your word preached. I thank you for all you've done for us. I thank you for our pastor. I pray you just use him tonight as he preaches. Thank you for your love to us. In your name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. I think we'll be done with this series tonight. I think we will. But when I uh, initially we started it, um, I thought it'd be a few weeks, but we actually started it the first Sunday in January. But God moments, and uh, we'll hit number 13 tonight, Lord willing, and there are many, many more, but I'm, I'm going to call it quits after this one, I believe. And so um, it, it's amazing to see how, how many times when a simple... A phrase like, but God steps in and changes everything. And so um, tonight, certainly, um, certainly we'll try to um, continue and and possibly close it out tonight. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, (coughs) Lord, for your help. And we ask your guidance and your direction, your favor. And we pray that good would be accomplished and God, you would work in our midst. Thank you for all we've seen and heard thus far. Thank you for the children singing, what a blessing that is uh, for them, Lord, and for us, and Lord, uh, more for you, and Lord, we, we know what uh, it means to you, and God, we ask you to, to bless now and uh, do that work again that only you can. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the, the point that we left off with last week is he continues ever unchangeable. We shared uh, uh, with you the book from one of the minor prophets, uh, the statement from Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. We talked about how it's, it's because of the Lord's mercies, the Bible says, it is the Lord's mercies that you are not consumed because His compassions, they fail not. And so we understand that the only reason we even have our breath, the only reason we even uh, can make it is because of the good hand of God upon us and His grace and His mercy. Then, one last uh, thought, and uh, mention this actually, this particular passage, because we think of it often in light of this, uh, from Genesis chapter number 49, as Jacob has gathered his uh, children together and is pronouncing their blessing, and that's a loosed uh, expression, I think. I think Reuben would probably take issue with it. But he says to Reuben in Genesis 49, 4, Unstable is water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Thou, then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. But the last, the first thought is this, unstable as water. And the Bible refers to man uh, many times in that regard. God doesn't change, but man does. We're not consistent. 
Uh, we try to be, even on our very best day. Um, you know, I was, I was reading someone recently, and he was, a, he was a Christian. He was a professional baseball player. And he said, you know, the amazing thing about it is he said 70% of the time you go up to the plate, you're going to get out, and you'll make it to the Hall of Fame. 70% of the time, you won't even get on base. You know, and you, you can be a, a multimillionaire, hugely successful, because most of the time, you're going to get an out. And, you know, you talk about how we are in our lives, but the, God, but the Bible's very clear that God says, I don't change. And that's a wonderful thing, because you don't have to wonder. Uh, we talked a little bit about that last week in regards, to, um, in regards to sometimes we use the expression walking on eggshells. And you don't have to worry about that with God. I think sometimes our conception of God is flawed in that uh, we think, well, boy, I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop because I'm away from God or I've done wrong. And so I expect, I anticipate at any moment that God's going to squash me. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm sure that probably some of you in here have felt that way at a point in your life where you have wondered, I've blown it. Maybe you blew it with drugs. Maybe you blew it with alcohol. Maybe you blew it with immorality. Maybe you blew it with simply prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Maybe you just kind of drifted from God, and you're not where you ought to be, and you've asked yourself in your own heart, why is it that he ever puts up with me? How is it that God in his mercy puts up with me? And that's it right there, because God doesn't change. It's not like, you know, we use from the French poem, he loves me, he loves me not. That's not the way God works, because God never loved you because you were lovable. Always remember that. God loves you because God is love. And so he's not waiting for you to trip up so at that moment he can, you know, you know flip a switch or, you know, um, it's, it's like you're on this trap door, you know, here you are. And I'm doing okay today, and, and God's right here. You know, he's got the, he's got the rope, and oh, you messed up, you know, and there you go. And I, I'm saying it kind of lightheartedly, but sometimes our concept of God is that way. Job's friends, when they came and they began to rebuke him for his sin in his life, they just knew that the reason this bad was happened to him was because he had done wrong. That shows us a flaw in two ways of thinking. Number one, we think that everybody that's having problems in their life is because they've gone astray. And two, and this is so huge, that's our attitude about a holy, loving father. Like God is just waiting on the sidelines for that moment when you blow it so he can let you have it. Why do we... Why do we think that way about God? I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to tell you something. I don't think I'm alone in having felt that at some point in my life when I've been away from it. How much is he going to put up with now? I don't know why he lets me live. I can't believe I'm drawing another breath. And as I'm looking around at a sea of faces tonight, I guarantee you some of you have probably experienced that same thinking. But God's not like us. Isn't that a, isn't that a great thing? Because, you know, we, sometimes if we think we have, a friend has fallen short, a loved one has disappointed, that's it, I'm never trusting them again. That's how we are. I've already, I'm writing them off. No confidence in them. I just never, ever again. You fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And so we have that approach, and, but not God. That's why God said, a just man falls seven times and riseth up again. It's not so much that he's just, though he is, it's that he has a God who allows him to keep getting up. And you can't, you can't mistake that. You can't forget that. Because if, if we went through life wondering, is today the last day because of what I did last week? 
I'm not reading my Bible like I should, so I expect at any moment God's going to turn his back on me altogether, and I just expect a torrent of trouble to come my way. That's a crazy way to live. God says, I change not. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That won't change. What you do does not affect it. That doesn't mean that sin and bad choices don't come with consequences. It just means that sometimes we've got to get off this this twisted idea of a God where we, we view him like we do every other relationship that we have. And one of the reasons, I think, is because that's how our relationships have been. Well, I had, someone might say, well, I had a dad, and every time, I, it was like he was waiting every moment to knock me down. Or I have, you know, I've got a relationship with a sibling or a spouse or a loved one, and every time they're always picking out that spot, and they're always, but God's not that way. God, he's not fickle. He's not faint, and he doesn't change. God says, I'm as consistent as the sun rising in the east, setting in the west. It's going to happen. You may not be able to see it in Oregon most of the days, but it's going to be there. You, you know, we, we, you can set your clock by it. Unless the Lord comes back, God says, uh, he, he does not change. He does not change. All right, next one. God forbids shared glory. I'm going to give you a couple of verses here. But God forbid, this is Paul writing to the church at Galatia, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Look at a couple of verses. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse number 8 that parallel in the text. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to Gary even images. The Bible is, is so very clear on this, yet mankind wants to put up all kinds of things in the place of God. Anything that takes the place of God in your life, in essence, is kicking God off the throne. It can be any number of things. It can be, uh, it can be intellect. It can be athletic prowess. It can be financial gain. It can be wisdom or academia. It can be uh, those type of things. It can be material success and gain. And we look at those things that, boy, that is what I'm striving for. That is what I'm in pursuit of. But God says, no, no, no. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God says everything else will take care of itself. But what man does is he says, I, I've got something that I want to put on a throne. And God says, hang on just a second. I don't share my glory with anything. I don't share my glory with anyone. But God will not share his glory. The Bible gives us a couple examples of that. Notice in Daniel chapter number 4, one of the most clear-cut passages there is. It'll be on the screen there in front of you, Daniel chapter 4, and we'll read uh, several verses here. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Every time I read that passage of Scripture, I reminded of the devil. Because the devil said, I and my, and, and uh, you know, he, he would exalt himself to the Most High. Here's the king of Babylon. The king spake, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And that passage is amazing as it unfolds because you go, and I don't think I have it in the slide, and that's totally on me because I, I meant to include the very next verse, uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 30, 31, and 32. And notice verse 32. I'm going to read it. 
And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee. Times in the book of Daniel referred to years. Seven years shall pass over thee until thou know. Notice this. The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and he giveth it to whomsoever he will. Here's a guy who's a king. He's standing out. Can you picture this scene? He's looking over this great kingdom. Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by the might of my power? Well, he's forgetting something. Nothing ever happens without God. And one of the statements that you find repeated in the book of Daniel is, the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men, and he giveth it to whomsoever he will. And so God says, I got a lesson for you. And the lesson lasted seven years. He goes from here boasting. And the Bible says, while the word was in his mouth. In other words, the judgment was swift. God doesn't always pay immediately, but he always pays. And so here's a guy, as soon as he makes the statement, while the word was in his mouth, God brought swift judgment. And he goes from here to going out in the field and grazing like a cattle, like a cow. I mean, you, you talk about trouble I mean, here he is. He, the Bible talks about his nails began to grow like the claws of a bird. His hair began to grow on his body like the feathers. You talk about a freaky-looking dude. I mean, where's the king? Oh, I can't say right now. He's, he's out, literally. He's out. He's out there, and he's out there. Well, wouldn't you expect him back? I have no idea. It's amazing, too. This went on. For seven years. That's a whole lot of grass eating. I mean, you, you talk about it. I mean, that, that's just amazing. But then his wisdom returned unto him. Almost as, the, the judgment as swift as it was, the remedy came as quickly as well. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, did he grasp his oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Boom, seven years. Now notice this. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? He made it very clear, God's not sharing his glory. And any time you try to take the place of God, or any time we try to put anything up in God's stead, we're always wrestling and we're going to lose. You're never going to come out ahead in that. Then we have one of, the, one, of the, one of the clearest examples in the book of Acts. You have Herod. Now, this is the grandson of the Herod in the, uh, with the slaughter of the innocents in the early stages of the Gospels. But this is his grandson. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God and not of man. Now, hang on just a second. You're not responsible for what people say about you. But you are responsible for how you deal with what they say about you. It's a great lesson from this particular passage. It could be broadly applied. But in this particular case, he gives a great speech. The, many, many of the great orators, particularly during the days of Rome, they would, uh, they would put pea gravel into their mouth and try to speak so that they could practice speaking 
and, and they would, they would uh, sometimes stand on the shores of the Mediterranean and try to trumpet their voice to where it could be heard even above the sound of the crashing of the waves. And so an oration was a very big deal to these guys. So here he is. He's giving a great speech. And they're like, wow, man, that's awesome. And they make the statement, and here's where you start treading on thin ice. It is the voice of a God and not of a man. Now, if you remember, there was a certain disciple who, when they began to bow and praise him and said, the gods are come unto us. Do you remember that in the book of Acts? You you all remember that story? And he said, hold hold the phone. No, (laughs) No, we want to get that settled real quick. We're not gods. That's not us. Why do you think Peter did that? Any idea why Peter did that? Because he realized, I don't want to tell, I, I'm not about to listen to the accolades and the boasting where people are heaping it upon me saying, wow, you're just like God. And by the way, I don't mean this, in a, I, I'm not trying to be unkind, but people that want to uh, lift themselves up in, someone might say they're the greatest basketball player that's ever lived. But when people reference themselves as a God, You better be careful. In fact, get out of the way. Because notice what happens to Herod here, because he he does not prevent them from saying it. It is a voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. What about your God now? Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine being there, listening to this guy, and you think, wow, this is awesome. This is the voice of a God. Mm, Worms, man, that's, that's quite... Every time I read this, I'm thinking, can you imagine that scene? And so it's no wonder that when people say, hey, the the gods of heaven, Jupiter and so forth, are come down to us in the form of men. Peter said, no, 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 no. Let me back away from that real quick. We are not. And so be very careful because God does not share glory, uh, plain and simple. And then finally, here we go. Number 13, the last one. Can you believe it? And that is that God is a giver. Unusual verse that we use for it, but if you take clearly in part, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Of course, it's a passage from the Romans Road, but it demonstrates something very, very clearly about God, and that is that God is a giver. Sometimes people, when they get saved, they think, well, boy, I remember when I got saved, I had to give up this, and I, I, I lost this, and, uh, you know, I had to stop doing this. You, you know, I, I can't really say that because I don't think I gave anything up. I gained much. You know, well, he took all my sins. Oh, how is that working for us? Well, he took the wrong crowd. Yes. I mean, think about some of, the, some of the different twists and turns that my life could have taken had not God intervened. I mean, had it not been for the fact that God stepped in on my behalf and there was a very clear but God moment, sometimes people say, well, if I, if, if, I was talking to someone not long ago, and, and I know that, uh, I shouldn't say I know, I, I strongly suspicion one of the reasons they have been reluctant to trust Christ is because they know it means a dramatic turn in their life. Now, it, it's true because you're, you're, you're changed the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. Paul wrote that at the church of Corinth. He was probably the clearest example. Here he is on the Damascus road, boom, one moment, I was on the road to Damascus, saw a light from heaven, as bright as new day sun, everything changed in his life. 
And he would always point back to that, even to where he gets to the point where he's writing from prison. He's about to be executed. He's writing his last letter to Timothy, and he says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Henceforth, there's later for me a crown of righteousness, not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. But he gets there, and he realizes, boy, God didn't take anything away from me. I had a position, yes, but I gained heaven. He's ne- he has, has never moaned the fact that he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and no child of God should ever do that. No one should ever sit there and think of God. What did, look what God cost me. And I want to look at several verses very quickly. We'll have them on the screen here. Romans chapter 8. I hope to finish this tonight. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. What shall that we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered it up for us all. How shall he not with him also, notice this, freely give us all things? Freely give us all things. I want to say it again. God is a giver, not a taker. Now, the Bible tells us what the devil is. We know what the devil is. The Bible says the thief came but to rob and to steal and to destroy. The devil wants to take everything you've got. He wants to take your future. He wants to take your opportunity. He wants to rob your marriage. He wants to, he wants to break your home. He wants to take and take and take. People have it all uh, twisted when they say, oh, boy, the, the devil, he, in fact, when he makes the temptation to Christ. He's acting like, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you this. But it's always a taker. When he tells Eve in the garden, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I'm going to give you something. No, he wasn't. He wasn't giving her anything. In fact, a a short trip down the rest of her life's road, and she sees one son take the life of another. Can you imagine the rest of her life, she's remembering, that day I thought I was getting, I was actually losing. That's why when the Bible says, he that gaineth his life shall lose it. Whoso loseth his life for my sake shall, shall gain it, shall find it, shall obtain it. And that's exactly what happens to the child of God. But the devil comes along and says, no, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. You shall be as God's knowing good and evil. And here he goes to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he does the same exact temptation. Here's the difference. We fall for that same lie just like Adam and Eve did. We're no different because when those things are presented, it's rare and unique to find someone. For instance, the Bible tells us about Moses, Moses in the book of Hebrews, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, excuse me, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. May I say this? Sin's fun. There's pleasure in sin. The Bible says that. Don't, you know, I, I used to think sometimes, well, sin, there's no fun in it. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there is a window where there is pleasure and sin. But it's always a very small window, and it's always closing very rapidly. It, it, it is never what we think it's going to be. That's what the devil gives, and it's always a counterfeit to what God has. God says, I didn't come to give you death. I came to give you life. And not just life, but life more abundantly. The devil said, I came to give you death. I want to rob. I want to plunder. I want to pillage. I want to steal. I want to destroy I'm going to take away every opportunity you ever have in this life, but I'm going to hook you by offering you something that I think you'll want. And sometimes it's talent, sometimes it's treasure, sometimes it's things, and and we pursue those things, and God says, no, 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 no. That's not what I give. But as I say this on the 13th thought, God is a giver. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And I I, I need to hustle. Let's keep reading here in verse number uh, 31 and following. 
who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. What does he do for us? Well, first of all, we know that God gives us someone on our side. He is for us. What's that worth to you? What is that worth to you? I mean, if in this life, you know that no matter what you're going to face, and listen, in a crowd this size, some of us are going to face some unbelievable things. But you know this, if God be for us, who can be against us? That means no matter what you're going to face. We could talk about tragedy and heartache and disappointment. And, you you know, I I was reading an article uh, just uh, Friday. Um, I, I believe it was in Nigeria. Over 200 Christians have been murdered in the last two weeks which, by the way, never makes the news. And I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to get on the politically correct stuff because you know me, I'm not politically correct stuff. But you have a mosque that's attacked somewhere in a foreign country and it makes news for a week. Over 200 Christians are slaughtered in the most vicious way by Muslim extremists. And you never see that on the news. So we think about the lives that people are going through and the tragedy and the heartache, and God is saying, hey, I'm going to tell you something. I'm a giver of all things, and number one, I'm never going to leave you. I am with you. If God be for us, who, who can be against us? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God says, you will never go through this alone. David said, I've been young and of old and have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. It means that there may be tough times, there may be stormy waters, and there may be difficult navigation in your life. There may be unknown troubles yet to come your way. Heartache, hurts, wounds, tragedy, disappointment, one thing after another. But you can rest assured as a child of God. God said, I'm going to tell you one thing I'm going to give you, and that is you won't be alone. Man, is that good? Does anybody else think that's good tonight? I'm up here and I'm thinking that's pretty good. God said, "I, I will never leave you. You know, there's a song we sing, No, Never Alone. He promised never to leave me alone. Now, there are times when I wonder, oh, come on, you do too. There are times when I wonder, but it feels like I'm facing this one all by myself. And God says, are you kidding? Surely he hath borne our sorrows. Everything that I've ever faced, every hurt, wound, disappointment, doesn't matter what it is, God says, I, I, I carried that already. I lifted that. You know, we sing a song, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. The, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. You guys remember, do you remember when you were kids, you used to play tag? There was always a place that was safe when you, when you could get home, you know? Do you all remember that? So you, now that you don't do that because you can't do that with, with this, but... You remember what it was like when you were kids. You went outside until it was dark. You played all, especially in the summertime. When the summertime came, we left in the morning. Boom, we were gone. We came home. You know, mom would say, hey, everybody, come on in, you know. And they didn't have any idea where you'd been for the last 12 hours, you know. Come home stinking, playing all kinds of stuff. You you know what I mean? Some of you looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. But you knew that home was safe. And, And the Lord says, for you as my children... Understand and know this, I'm, I'm always for you. 
And then the Bible tells us in this last part, we're talking about what God is giving us. He said he also maketh intercession for us. You know what that means? He's always going to God on your behalf. The Father. The Son is making intercession. That means that Jesus Christ is speaking up for me. I like it when somebody speaks up for me. But I really like it when it's the Son of God. I I really like it when it's Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Maketh intercession a go-between. When I was dating my wife, we actually really weren't dating. In my mind, we were. And uh, for a long time, that's pretty much all it was. But, But... I remember that, uh, and I probably, I probably used this illustration before, but I always think about it when I think about it in an intercession. And I had, uh, I had kind of strained the relationship um, between me and her dad because I got into it with her brother. Her brother was always a lot bigger than me. I mean, he's, you know, you know he's still huge and strong and all of that, and I hate him, but no, I'm kidding. Oh, I love him. He's, he's like a brother to me, actually. But... Uh, um, so we had gotten into a, a spat. That's such a dumb word, but we would gotten into a fight. And um, so I, I wanted to take her on a youth activity. I can't remember what it was, honey. Do, do you remember? I don't know, some youth activity, probably some real great big deal like roller skating. Who knows? And uh, so um, anyway, but uh, her dad said no. And uh, we shared the same barber. He's a guy in our church, Fred, Fred the barber. He was actually a meat cutter. That was what, what he did for a living, but he, and he cut hair. And so my dad would take all his boys over there, and we'd get our, get our hair cut. And so I was there one night, and he asked me, he said, hey, how's it going with so-and-so? And I said, Fred, not so good. He said, tell me about it. Well, the next thing I know, Fred, when her dad and brother were in at Fred's barbershop, which was a makeshift barbershop in his garage, he's talking to him about Stu. Pastor Stewie. I've been affectionately called Stewie for many, many years. And he tells her dad what a, you know, he's a really good guy. And man, he's just building me up. And you know, oh, you probably ought to let him go. And the next thing I know, I get to take her on whatever that thing was, roller skating. It only happened because somebody went to bat for me. Do you realize that's what, that's what Jesus Christ says I'm doing for you? So when God says, I freely give all things, somebody, oh yeah, what's that? See, we think all things is a car, it's a house, it's clothes, it's money, it's a raise. And God says, wait, 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 wait. Here's some of those all things. Number one, you're never alone. I like that. I came over here the other night, it was like midnight, all the lights were off. And I don't know about you, but churches are spooky. You know what I mean? Come on. Don't judge me. All right? I come in here and I've got my iPhone on. All right, it's 12 o'clock and you're hearing all kinds of noise anyway. All kinds of stuff. And then I'm hearing those right up in the top. I mean, it's just all kinds of stuff. And I'm looking, I'm looking up here. I've got my little iPhone. Are you thinking, Pastor, when I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. Oh, shut up. I'm coming through here, and I, was, I don't even remember what I was checking on. But I come through here, and I, I'm thinking, what are you scared about? And like, like anybody can come in here, you know? And so I've got my, uh, I've got my keys 
in my hand and my iPhone in the other, and I've got this big barrel key because, you know, like that's going to really, that's a defensive mechanism right there. Come at me. I dare you. And I'm thinking, what in the world? That's going to do absolutely nothing. But for some reason, I feel brave. (laughs) Watch it. So I'm walking through here, and it's totally dark. And I'm thinking, man, these places are spooky at night with all the lights out. None of you have ever felt that way. I know you guys just, dun, 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 dun. You know, what am I doing hell to the chief for? I have no idea. But you're walking right through here, and you just feel like, man, some of you don't even know what that song was. That's okay. So you just feel like, man, I'm on top of everything. But God says, wait just a second. You are never alone. At the time you get a phone call and you think, what do I do now? And God says, you're not alone. I'm with you every step of the way. You get bad, you get bad news, I'm there. And so sometimes the things that we think, well, if God is for me, then what are those things because he, he doesn't just say some things, he says everything. He said, he said, there is nothing that I cannot do for you. There is no end. There is no limit. I can do whatever you need. And so as we face and go through those problems in life, understand God says, number one, you're never going alone. And by the way, I made it all the way across. And then I ran. No, I didn't run, I, you know, because I don't want to alert the boogeyman wherever he is and whoever he is. And uh, seriously, you hear everything when you come into a place. Like, you know, I'm thinking, is that the wind or is that a little animal crawling around up there? You know, you're thinking all kinds of things. But God says, I'm with you for whatever you're facing. And I am going to God on your behalf. Let's go further. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? God's telling us, what a great reminder there. He says, this is among those things. Remember, God is a giver, not a taker. One thing he says, there's nothing that can separate you from my love. You know, let me ask you a question. Don't answer it. Don't make a comment. But I just want to ask a question. Have you ever been a jerk? to someone who loved you. And, and, and you, you find yourself wondering, how could they love me? And God says, I'm going to tell you something. You can't do that to me. He goes through a list here, and he doesn't cover everything, but it's pretty encompassing because God says, I'm giving you everything. I'm going to tell you something. My love is everlasting. It means you cannot lose it. You can't run from it. You can't outdistance yourself in this life from the love of God. It doesn't matter, you know, as a come thou fount, and I think Robert Robinson was the one who wrote that song that she played there on the piano earlier. But, but it, it, it talks about prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But God says, yeah, but you, you can't do that. You can try but I'm going to keep coming. Because the Bible says there is none that seeketh after God. God says, I came looking for you. Don't forget that sometimes people say, and I remember years ago when I was a young man, you all remember the, the, the little thing that was going around talking about faith, and I think it was in the 70s, and it says, I found it. 
How many remember that, that little slogan I was talking about? I got saved, and so I found it. But, you know, and I, and I understand they probably meant well, and I'm not trying to be critical, but I will say this. I never found God. Two reasons. One, he never was lost. And number two, I don't have the capacity to pursue him. The Bible says that God is not in our thoughts. The Bible says that God came looking for you. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's you and me. And so, you, you know, I, when I set my heart on Tony, and I know I, I've told the story, and it, it sounds corny, and you probably get tired of hearing it, but, but I remember sixth grade. She was in fifth grade. I remember seeing her, and I, and I told my mom, ninth grade, that's the girl I'm going to marry. And I remember what my mom said. She was so discouraging. You know you were. But, uh, you know, you all don't do that kind of stuff, but that's okay. But, uh, but I knew that she was, but you know what? I was pursuant. I, I, didn't, I didn't take this approach. Well, she knows, and now it's up to her. Ball's in your court. Are you kidding? I'm the guy who would drive out of the way several miles just to drive by her house to see if maybe she was out in the yard. You know why? I was seeking. I was seeking. You know what God says? I'm going to do everything I can to save your soul. I'm going to, listen to this. This is amazing. God says, I am going to draft the most unbelievable plan of redemption that no book could ever record and no writer could ever pen. It'll be the, the most unbelievable story of grace, and it will revolve around you. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You're going to go astray from me from the very beginning, but my plan will always be to draw you back. And you may mock me, and you may scoff me, and I will give you the greatest gift you could ever have, my only begotten Son, and He will be the token for your soul. Because I love you. And I have always sought man to draw him to me. You know, as you read the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's God saying, hey, let me tell you this. I am a giver, not a taker. And the moment we start understanding that about God, I think it helps our understanding about everything in life. Because God says, I've never robbed you of anything. That's what the devil does. I've never defrauded and cheated and lied and stole and misled and deceived and connived. That's the devil. God says, I'm a giver, not a taker. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and maybe tonight someone would say, boy, God has reminded me for a moment, and He sure has reminded me of how much He loves me. And what great links He has gone and continues to go through on my behalf. The very fact that He is for me. The, the very fact that He never changes. The very fact that He stands in heaven in my stead and on my behalf. 
the very fact that He longs to give to me even better than I could ever imagine. God is a giver. I'm not sure what type of invitation to give tonight, but I am sure that maybe some of us need to move. Maybe we ought to pause and reflect and say, Lord, you know, I've been unthankful, but I realize tonight, God, you've reminded me of some things, and boy, you sure have been good to this guy. You indeed have given exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ever ask or think. God, thank you for giving. In a moment, the piano is going to play. You'll have an opportunity to respond. Maybe there's someone you wish to pray for. Maybe someone who doesn't know about the love of God that God's impressed upon your heart. Maybe a name, a face, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a loved one. But if God's spoken to your heart, would you mind Him tonight and just come as the piano plays? very, very quickly. Thankful for these that are coming. You're certainly welcome to pray there at your seat, but if God's impressed upon your heart, He doesn't move in our heart to get us to stay. He moves in our heart to get us to move. I always want to encourage us to be responsive and receptive. Jesus sought me when a stranger. Wandering from the folds of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. I sing that first verse. You should probably know that one. Here we go. Come thou fountain.